Great. Welcome. You are listening to WMUA 91.1 in Amherst, and welcome to Undercurrents. My name is Jenny. I'll be with you for the next half hour, along with my guest, Steve Fernandez, joining us today in our virtual studio. Um, Steve is an engineering engagement specialist in the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the College of Engineering at UMass. Um, Steve has been telling me a little bit about his journey or development, life learning. Um, well, we mostly started at MIT and um, recently talking about um, his program about developing engineering and social justice. So thank and we're going to talk about that over the next 29 minutes. So thank you very much for joining me today, Steve. Oh, you're welcome, Jenny. Okay. Why don't you start by telling listeners briefly what offices of diversity, equity, and inclusion do, and in particular in your role in the College of Engineering at UMass? What are the things you try to do? Yeah, so we have this Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the College of Engineering, um, and our role is to try to improve the um, numbers of underrepresented students in engineering. That tends to be um, Black, uh, Latinx, uh, Indigenous students, uh, female students, non-binary students, um, and uh, first-generation students. So we try efforts at outreach in high schools and youth programs, and also within our college, with our current students, we engage in activities to try to make sure that they are um, feeling supported and getting resources that they need. Well, that sounds like really important work, um, especially making sure that you retain the students who you manage to recruit. Do you, do you find that um, there are particular techniques that are useful? I mean, like tutoring, is that something that's key? Yeah, there's, um, I think tutoring is, is, is key um, and, and mentoring. I just had a, uh, a meeting with some students for a new mentor program that we're doing for transfer students because uh, transfer students had um, a challenging time because they start off in the College of Engineering. They don't have the networks and the cohorts that other students have developed. And what generally happens is that they come thinking that they're going to start as a junior, but because of the um, classes that were offered in their community college, a lot of times they're sophomores. And so it's a little bit disorienting. So we're setting up this program to try to, um, to try to support them. So mentoring, I think, is, is very important. But I, I'd say for what, what I found to be the most critical is um, the humanization of our contacts with students. So getting to know them, getting to see them as, as human beings um, and, and enabling them to feel that they have a space to share what they're going through, um, to talk to us and feel that they have some agency in being to affect change and um, to ask for what they think is gonna be uh, something that will support them. So, it sounded like you were saying that many students feel like they're 
not in a position in which they're respected or belong or know what they're doing. Is that true? Well, I think that students, um, I can't speak to all the students. And I, I guess what, what happens is I get a lot of the students who have concerns and, and issues. Yeah. But um, when they talk to me, it's an expression of feeling like um, they have no voice or that um, no ability to impact the way things are happening at the university or in the college. And um, I think to some extent that's partially true. Um, and I also think the other thing is that uh, change takes time. And I, I try and work with them to understand that there are avenues. Um, we have to like really celebrate the small little baby steps that we take because uh, you know, a trip of a thousand miles starts with one step and we can't like dis diminish these little baby steps. They're, they're small, but they're steps forward. Um, and I want the students to recognize that and, and appreciate that. But, you know, it's, it's frustrating when you're trying to um, work to have major change and, and you know, it's, you only see a little bit of uh, impact of that. Well, plus for students, like one year is a long chunk of their lives. Yep. Where for older people, you see something happen in a year and it's like, okay, that's something that happened. Um, can you give us some examples or an example of what you what students might perceive as baby steps, but you think actually represents progress? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of something that I could share, but um, so I, I think one thing may be a sense of um, uh, atmosphere that was not embracing female students in some of the disciplines. And it, it varies from discipline to discipline. Mm -hmm. um, we have one discipline that's relatively new, which is biomedical engineering. And students generally think it's very, very supportive and very awesome. Mm -hmm. It generally is a, is a new program. I think the people who started it came with a mindset of, we want this to be a very diverse and inclusive department. And because they came with that mindset, they intentionally took steps to make it that way and to hire staff and faculty that would share those values and um, put that into practice. And that hasn't been with other disciplines that have been around since, I don't know, however long engineering has been around at UMass. And getting those um, departments to affect change is challenging. And part of that challenge is that it's not only a change that has to happen within the faculty. Uh, we accept students from throughout Massachusetts and we live in a society that like you know, the reality is there's a lot of racism. There's a lot of um, misogyny and patriarchy and a lot of homophobia in the society at large. And the students that we accept, um, I, I, I don't know if I could put any numbers, but there are students that we accept that have a notion that, well, if you're a female student, if you're non-binary, you really can't do engineering. Um, and so we as a college need to address that. And that's challenging. Um, so, and, to, and I think that's part of what some of our female and non-binary students will feel is um, that they're not seeing a change happening 
at a pace that is, you know, something that makes them feel comfortable. And I, I absolutely understand. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a hard thing to uh, take on. It's a very hard thing. And if I can kind of switch roles for a moment and interview myself, as a, I've been a professor of physics here for 31 years, here being UMass physics. Um, and, you know, I, I understand this being, you know, treated as if you can't do physics. And the women faculty and the women students, I mean, so I speak for, for, for women because that's the point of view that I can speak from. Um, it just grinds you down, like being talked at as with the assumption that you can't really do um, physics and you're, you're wise to especially try to help out junior faculty, make sure they stay at UMass, you know, because they'll get it from their colleagues and their students. And there's kind of a ludicrous extreme where students will think that they know more about the discipline than you do, even though you've been doing it for 30, 40 years. <laughs> but after all, they are male. <laughs> uh, that's Sometimes. absolutely, that absolutely happens in engineering. Like I, I when I was in um, another university in South Jersey, I remember a particular situation where um, I was doing lab coverage. This was in engineering, wasn't in physics. But I was doing lab coverage and I came in and my colleague who's female, Latina, had a session before me. I walked in and some students came up to me and asked me a question. And then she got so mad. She said, you know, I was sitting here the whole time they were working on it and they didn't ask me. And they waited until you came in to ask you because they felt that I couldn't. And actually she knew more about it than I did. And like when I went to ask her, say, hey, Katie, could you tell me about like how to make this like a 3D printer, like feed into the thing? Um, but that's the attitude of, of some students that it's it's very offensive. Um, and I'm not sure, I don't have the answers. I don't know how to um, get students to, male students who have that sense of, I don't know, patriarchy to change. But I think that we definitely do have to articulate like this is inappropriate um, and this is not how we operate. And maybe over repetition, they'll at least, I don't know, Made themselves in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd like to let listeners know that our guest here on Undercurrents is Steve Fernandez, who works in the um, Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the College of Engineering at UMass. And we're going to work our way up now to talking about, I think, one of Steve's um, really primary interests is engineering and social justice, which perhaps are, are two nouns that you don't necessarily always hear together. So Steve, you were telling me um, a little bit earlier that you started at MIT as a physics or engineering student? Yes, I did. Uh, let, let me just say about the engineering and social justice, a little story from South Jersey. So I did a class on uh, drones and social good. And we had an introductory session where we talked about, you know, what are your feelings about social justice? Um, one of the, um, and so students were putting up like sticky notes. One of them was snowflakes. One of the terms was feminazi. Um, so again, showing the, the misogyny. And another uh, comment that we heard is engineering and social justice shouldn't be used in the same sentence. <laughs> so that's some of the um, mindsets that we are um, confronting. But so, yeah, so let me, 
go back to my, my time at MIT. I started in physics at MIT. And um, I went into physics because I, I like trying to understand about the universe. And I thought, you know, by looking at physics, we could understand uh, what's the meaning of life, basically. Um, and as I went into it, um, I guess my, my notion of why is staying physics changed, particularly because of work I did at this place called the, the Center for Space Research. So I was working with a professor who I, I really liked, um, was a, a, a great person, but it was on solar wind research. And it was um, during the time I realized, wait a minute, <laughs> this is not just a, a exercise in understanding physics of solar wind. This is for the military so that space weapons will be able to perform perform well in in space. It was the time of Reagan and Star Wars. So I I became very disillusioned. It was that and, and a number of other um, uh, activities at MIT that made me see how directly involved physics was with the military. And I didn't want to be part of that. Um, so I, I switched into engineering. At that time, MIT had a solar lab, but they gave it up. They gave it up to UMass Lowell. So I finished my degree at MIT and went on to do a master's in UMass Lowell in solar energy. And um, did work there. And, and I liked that work. And my focus was on trying to use sustainable energy in the global south, particularly focus on areas where people don't have um, a lot of access to energy. So the 1.5 to 2 billion people in the world that don't have access to electricity, the um, 3 billion that use wood for um, cooking food. Um, and it did work in, in parts of um, Latin America where the work was trying to help um, peasant farmers use solar energy in their farming to help with um, uh, drip irrigation. And it was great. But over time, I, I got to see um, that some of these peasant farmers were actually able to make a living and moved up economically and then started to become more exploitative of um, people who were lower down economically. And it upset me. And I felt, um, am I just repeating or perpetuating a model, a toxic model that we have here in the global north. Uh, you know, we have this model of capitalist economics, which really um, is a vehicle to funnel wealth and resources from the many to the hands of the few. And in the meantime, exact um, devastation on the natural world and like result in huge unsustainable uh, exploitation of natural resources and generation of, of waste. So I went into um, social justice engineering and that's kind of <laughs> what I've been doing uh, since that time. So what are the kind of guidelines or what are some of the lines of thought that um, make up this way of thinking that you're you know, trying to change things? to a, a different style. Yeah, so uh, social justice engineering is it's relatively new um, body of work and uh, movement in, in engineering. 
that looks at, um, it applies critical theory to, to engineering and tries to look at what are the mindsets currently operating in engineering. And um, if we look at engineering to a large extent nowadays, it is, um, it has become a tool for corporate capitalism and the military, uh, to put it bluntly. And what um, folk, like I want to do another folk in social justice engineering is try to bring it down to some of the original principles, which is that engineering is uh, a tool to benefit humanity. Uh, to benefit the whole of humanity. So how do we understand power dynamics, mindsets, and ways of operating in engineering that make it benefit a few of the elite? And how do we try to incorporate a broader sector of society in thinking about how it could be of use to them and um, directing those people who are involved with the field to um, use engineering for um, the, the needs of community. So, so for example, right now I'm involved with a project that is um, trying to make a community agenda for, for STEM. And what I've done is I've, I've talked to some uh, groups I work with and I've said, you know, what, what type of um, areas of research would you like to see people in, in STEM doing? What type of innovations and developments would you like? And the first response I get from groups I work with, which are like um, undocumented workers, folks in the Black and Latinx community, um, formerly incarcerated people, the first response I have is um, I, I, like a deer in the headlights. Like, what are you talking about? Like, how could we do this? Right? Like, you know, science is science. And then, so it, it takes me a little bit of time to say, okay, let's let's try to like backtrack a little bit. Let's let's think of something like um, what I did with a group of high school students that like I was I was working with, and they were very engaging until I asked this question, and they were like, we have like we have no idea even how to process your questions. I I asked them, okay, like how many people saw the movie um, Black Panther, and um, do you remember Wakanda, and what do you remember about Wakanda? And if you remember from Wakanda, it was a city, but in the midst of the city, there was ample vegetation and uh, there was no cars. The, the ground was the earth, there was rivers, there was animals. And um, it was a society that didn't have vestiges of slavery, of inequality, of colonialism and imperialism. And that's what we're talking about. Like, how do we try and envision getting moving beyond some of these social injustices and um pathologies that exist now and how do we envision a better way that society could be and then um can we see ways in which stem and engineering could be a tool to get there and like in some ways we're going to say it just is not the way to go about solving this is a problem that is not an engineering problem and doesn't involve an engineering fix so I'll give another example about that. I, there's a group I'm working with called the Rise for Social Justice, and they're concerned about mold in people's homes. And I have a, a class that's an engineering service learning class. We met with these people and I was talking to my students. And my students are awesome, um, by the way. I, I have a non-hierarchical approach and they've absolutely stepped up and stepped into leadership. So we were meeting with this group and I was 
talking to them about, well, you know, who could investigate like sensors and like the different types of mold. And one of the students said, um, they said, Steve, maybe we shouldn't be thinking about this from uh, engineering lens. Maybe there's other like social lenses we need to look to, to examine, to look at this problem. Like um, wh who's responsible for the places where people live? Um, what actions, and it turns out to be landlords and what, what could we do to make the landlords more responsive to these? Is it going to be maybe like we don't go about any engineering fix, but we look at like a legislative fix or a public education or public awareness fix? And I was very proud of the students for for realizing like these these are our STEM students and engineering students, and they realize like some problems we should look um, beyond engineering. Maybe there's some role for engineering. But maybe there's like, we can't constrain ourselves to think like the only way that's going to solve the problem is through engineering. Um, so, so let me let me push that along a little further. Um, so for getting rid of mold, there probably is a way to do appropriate cleaning. And I ex expect that if one does um, regular cleaning with the right solvents, um, then you don't get it go coming back. So that sounds like there's also an engineering or chemical engineering maybe um, role that you need certain infrastructure, in this case, cleaning fluid or whatever yeah. developed, but it also has to go along with the political will and possibly allocation of funds. Yeah, absolutely. So then the other issue that I face is um, um, I think we have a lot further to go to um, raising the consciousness of folk who are doing STEM to value this type of work. And um, and uh, how should I say? I've also found that um, there are some folk who are on a tenure track who do value this. But at this point, I don't think we have, um, I think we need to do more to change the process of tenure to value people who look at these type of problems. So when I've brought like, hey, could we have um, an engineering project or an engineering class that just focuses on um, mold, remediation, mold remediation and sensors for mold or other projects, like I had a, a project for uh, farm which was looking at how do they have a solar powered um vegetable freezer and how do they design do the do the mathematical modeling for that freezer with the right amount of uh, thermal insulation given like how often it's going to be opened and closed and um the temperature profile of the day um right now i don't think we have um folk in our uh, engineering department who are looking at that type of research. Um, and I think that we may have some folk who are untenured, but like they need to do what it takes to get tenured and like working on these problems are not necessarily gonna get them that. And we need to change that. We need to change the tenure process and change like how engineers value what uh, is done. Like, so what I hear is we, we, we work on cutting edge engineering. I think Cutting edge is too often defined as white um, elite 
um, parts of the global north. And I think we need to also look at cutting edge could be like for um, low income uh, residents in a primarily black and Latinx community who are living as tenants in um, a house with mold. So there must be many challenging problems that can, are talking about things that would benefit large groups of people, things that have to do with water supplies and clean water and, um, as you say, non-carbon footprint energy. And it, it seems like there would be fascinating engineering and physics problems involved with being able to do that in a large-scale way and also an economically feasible way. So that should be cutting edge engineering, or that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I, th I think it, it, it should be cutting edge engineering. So it, I, but I think that we are still um, not there yet because uh, even like when I look at the, um, that when I look at the NSF funding, I had students look at NSF funding and the priorities um, or some of the priorities outlined were uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, quantum computing. So, but they don't have like highly articulated um, some of these other more basic um, human needs that would benefit larger sectors of society. And even like the grand engineering challenges, they, they do talk about some of this, but I think they, they go about it through a um, more of a global North type of a, a mindset. Um, and I think like there, there needs to more be more um, of a change in how we approach engineering in that I think we need to envision it as more of a collaborative process. So this is what I get across in, in my class. I talk about a pedagogy of love and like engineers generally like, like react <laughs> like in horror. How could you say such, that's like sacrilege? But um, in the few examples that I've seen of engineers who do focus on some of these more social justice aspects, it's like through uh, Engineers Without Borders or other um, similar programs, but they have a like a missionary model. And even when they don't have a missionary model, they don't have an approach of this, this pedagogy of love. So for example, um, there was a project that I remember from Indonesia where it was uh, trying to help people in Indonesia address indoor air pollution through fire. So in Indonesia, they'd cook with indoor fire pits. It produces smoke, people get sick, and um, has an impact on infant mortality. So this group went in uh, of engineers, and they're like, well, we're going to do these rocket stoves for these people. We'll, we'll, we'll put them in for them. We'll get the funding. And the rocket stove has a... In, a combustion chamber, which is going to circulate the smoke around. So it's going to be totally combusted and it takes it to the outside, no smoke inside. Great. And then um, when the engineers uh, went back, they found like th the people are using them for like paperweights or, or whatever the equivalent of like, I just like, you know, over to the side and still using their, their stoves. And a friend of mine went up to one of the people that, he got to know and was like, what's going on? And the person said, all right, look, here, let me let you in. Like, you were so happy about this. We didn't want to hurt your feelings. Like, and, but like, we hate these things. Like we socialize over the fires. So like, and, and so this, this friend of mine and, and me uh, have this approach of like, don't go in thinking like, you know, the, the, the 
best approach is the best engineering approach. It's like you have to work with communities and get to know people and like don't even talk about engineering. You talk about, you go in, you have dinner, you talk to people, you get to know people, you get to care about people, you get to value them as human beings and you get to see, um, uh, you get to view them as people with wisdom who could educate you and, you know, and they see the wisdom and knowledge you could share with them and you get to collaborate. And um, so I, I, I think this, this, this pedagogy of love approach then enables you to come up with a, a, a solution that's going to be something that may not be like according to the textbooks, the best engineering solution, but it's going to be something that um, is going to be more em, embraced by people in the community. And that's, um, that's what I've been trying to approach. So Steve Fernandez, thank you. It was a fascinating example. Um, I wish we had a little more time to uh, continue on in that vein, but we, there's always the future. Um, thank you, Steve Fernandez, um, engineering engagement specialist, proponent of engineering and social justice here at UMass Amherst. Thanks for joining us on Undercurrents tonight. Thanks a lot, Jeannie.